Hey, folks, Tom and Keith thanking you for tuning in each and every week to listen to Front Row Knowles via the podcast. And a special thank you to the folks at the Dunlap Champions Club for their continued support of this podcast. A great place to watch Florida State ball game. a great place to have a good time. Remember, you can access the club on Friday night. You can go there on Saturday. You can repeat it on Sunday, an entire weekend of events. Whether it's for personal fandom or if you want to entertain clients, employees, social groups, uh, there's different packages available. You can get a single game uh, ticket experience as well and just sample it uh, at one game this year. Some new features, too, uh, from year one. They've got misters and fans in there, and they also are really emphasizing uh, flavorful food, but with a local connection, local tie, expanded food opportunity. John Rivers of Four Rivers will be in there preparing. Uh, also, you can get Bradley sausage for those of you that remember that. How, how do I get more information? They can get more information by calling uh, 850-644-1830, option one, or you can visit fsuclubseats.com. Thanks again to them and enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. The band is back together. KJ, how are you? Uh, other than being a little bit tired slash fatigued, I'm doing great. Keith and I did spend Saturday together, a glorious trip down to Gainesville and back, because anytime you win in Gainesville, it is glorious. Uh, yes, and it was even an added a gloriousness uh, in that we were, we were traveling back privately, shall we say, which necessitated a stop at uh, Highway 129. For those of you unaware, that would be the Busy Bee. And uh, to watch the faithful coming back from Gainesville to Tallahassee when one Mr. Gene Deckerhoff walked in the door <laughs> was quite, quite hilarious. Gene walked into the Busy Bee and you'd have thought they'd have advertised that he was signing autographs because it, everybody in the Busy Bee wanted to say they, hello to uh, Gene. The pens were coming out and there was signatures being signed. So a signature being signed. Obviously, there's an elephant in the studio that we need to discuss today and we will do that. Uh, we're going to talk about Alabama? We're going to talk about Jimbo. Oh, that elephant. Oh, yes. the white elephant. But I, before we get there, I do want to point out that the one thing that's been good about this, you know, normally the holidays are a time that you get together with family, catch up with old friends, reminisce. And I've been able to do that through the latest Jimbo stuff. You've found people you hadn't talked to in a while, haven't you? People who lived in the dorm with me are texting me, finding me on Twitter, People that I no longer want to associate with are finding me. See this big smile on my face? Yeah. I ain't got to do that. You ain't got to do, well, not on Twitter. No, I don't, because I don't play. Homie, don't play. I uh, have told the story about how I used to be the voice of the 900 hotline for the Osceola back in the day. This week, I'm thinking about bringing it back. You, you know they do other things with that 900 I, now. I do, I do. And you don't need a 900 hotline. You can have a subscription website, and, and those people are killing it this week. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Coming up, David Hale from ESPN will join us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, Jimbo, but we'll talk bowl scenarios for Florida State. That's been lost in the shuffle. It's just a foregone conclusion. Maybe nobody cares because it's not going to be a New Year Six Bowl or a college football playoff berth. But we'll talk with him about that. Anyway, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will join us. We'll also discuss a little basketball. The reason KJ's tired is because he was at Rutgers last night. 
And I didn't watch any of that game, but it seems like uh, a win is a win, and we'll take unbeaten. It, it was one of those games which Florida State could have very easily lost. It was uh, They had the bigs in trouble. They had to play with a small lineup. The game lasted seven hours. Uh, that's an exaggeration. It was about two and a half. Fouls all over the place. And uh, it's a game that easily, in the past, Florida State could have mailed in and not won. This group refused to do that. C.J. Walker went off for uh, 24, 22 of them in the second half. And it was a good, it'll be a good win for Florida State because Rutgers was undefeated. Uh, they'll continue to play well. When tournament time comes, that'll be a good road win for FSU. Yeah, my takeaway, and the, the non-conference schedule is not that strong this year, but save for at Florida next week, which I think going in, Florida's obviously the favorite. They're playing really well. But even if you lose that one, if you can win the rest of your non-conference, there's not going to be marquee wins, but important to get that one last night. You win a couple neutral site games, then you get into the ACC. Quickly, you told me uh, MJ Walker played again. I didn't watch the game. He didn't score, but at least his ankle's okay because he rolled it last time I saw him. Is there any update on a timeline for Kumaje? I think the longer this goes, this sounds crazy, but the longer this goes, the longer it goes, if that makes sense. Uh, This is why he is the best analyst in the business, people. I mean, he, he, he's got... Well, at some point, you miss enough where you just shut him down. Exactly. Totally, and, yeah. And, and, and there's not a lot of treatment they can do for it other than immobilize it in the boot. Uh, I mean, it's a stress fracture. It needs time. And as a result, uh, the longer it takes, the longer it takes. I was at the... Well, and we certainly wish him well, but that's a big loss for Florida. Very State. much so. The the two bigs that they have playing that are in their first year playing, both skilled, though, and, and but, bring a lot to the But they table. can get into foul trouble real early, which is what we saw happen uh, with... Uh, 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 Cabin Gali last night, and and that poses problems with uh, Obiago coming in and Kofor having to do some things. Though Kofor was shooting the ball well from a distance, it just makes it a little more difficult. You get an A on the pronunciations, by the way. Good job. We're six games in, and you've got the pronunciations right. I won't make you say them again. It's Jones and and Block and Deckerhoff. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we've we've only got a couple minutes here, so we really can't get into the meat of the Jimbo discussion. I'll save it. Do you want to offer a 60-second uh, until the red light sounds, you're Well, done? I think everything that's been printed, everything that is both creditable and, and totally off of the wall, the one thing that has come out that I believe is most telling and most important in all of the discussion is the the dysfunctional relationship between Jimbo and, and Andy and, and Stan Wilcox. And uh, I think the best analogy for that is 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 a marriage, uh, and obviously that's uh, very tip very uh, topical for me. I've been through a divorce. Uh, Jimbo has recently been through a divorce, and what happens in a marriage is when things turn bad and you can't get them corrected, they just continue to unravel in other ways. And I think what we're seeing is this is the crux of the unraveling. So the bottom line is whether Jimbo stays this year or not. This this says there's there's issues that have have got that have got to be addressed if if Florida State wants to move move forward with its current head coach, and I think that's the most telling aspect that has come out of this whole discussion. Of course, Florida State's not in position to fire Jimbo, so it could just be an uncomfortable situation if he decides to stay. And and we are recording today's show, so. Much like the folks on Seminole Headlines said, if if Jimbo is coaching the Miami Dolphins by the time you hear this, or the uh, somewhere in the Canadian Football League, who or, knows? Or Florida A and M, they're looking for a coach. Who knows? But as we talk, uh, the decision hasn't been made. Um, but we're going to go. We're going to dive deeper into that. I, I want to mention Keith. I was at the quarterback club last night. Andre Wadsworth was the uh, guest speaker. Andre, first class guy, was always terrific when he was here. He told a Randy Moss story that I'd never heard. 
And radio probably won't do this justice, but you'll appreciate it because you're sitting next to me. So Randy Moss was on the FSU team for one year. We all recall the story. And, and the premise of this was somebody asked him who the best player he ever played with was, and he answered Randy Moss and said that FSU would have two more national titles if Moss had played here because, oh, by the way, he was with Peter Warwick and Lavernius Coles at the same time. Anyway, he said that year he was here, and I heard these. I heard a lot. A lot of FSU fans have heard these stories about how good he was on the practice field, but I had never heard this one. Uh, you can you know what it looks like when Moss, when he's lined up, man to man coverage, he takes basically one step past the corner and he shoots that arm up. He's already six five to tell the quarterback, "Throw me the ball, I'm open." All right. So he's telling the story. He said he would do that. And he would make a noise as he did it. And this is what it was. He'd shoot the hand up and he'd say, yee! And then the ball would land in his hands and he'd say, haw! <laughs> and it would go nonstop every practice. You'd look up and there was Randy Moss. Yee! Haw! <laughs> and I thought, what a classic story about Randy Moss. That is. That is. That is. Hey, uh, how about Andre? How, how good could he have been if he had stayed healthy? 17 surgeries. 14 knee surgeries, two Achilles tendons he blew out in a shoulder. He told this last night. So if he had some, just stayed healthy. He was the highest draft pick in FSU history until Jameis. And some people would call him a bust because of the number three pick and didn't have a long NFL career. Well, 17 surgeries is the answer. There's your explanation. When injuries are the explanation, to me, you don't use the word bust. He told another story, and I had forgotten this. He redshirted in 93. In 94, he said he was seventh team defensive end. And well, he was a walk on when he, he got was here. a walk on. He had earned a scholarship for ninety four. He was the seventh team defensive end, red shirt freshman. They go to Miami. It's a game Danny Cannell started. FSU lost. The nose ta- the nose guards were just getting crushed. So Chuck Amato goes over. He's looking at the bench. He asks for the next. You know, he starts asking the ends, "Can you play nose tackle?" None of them could. Andre knew the assignments from being on the scout team. He said, "I'll play it." Amato puts him in the game, seventh-team defensive end at nose tackle. He goes on to have 10 tackles in his first game. So the next week at practice, they're lined up for their you know, their calisthenics, and they're in five-yard increments. And the rows are the captain in the front at the 50. And Andre says, I'm on the back line of the end zone is where I'm sitting. I'm on the end zone or the five-yard line. Right, exactly. Right. Amato comes out to practice from behind, grabs him by the face mask, and pulls him up to the front of the line and moves everybody back five yards. And he was then – now, he ended up playing defensive end and later moving to defense tackle. But the point was, if you cut, if you bring it and you can play, and, you're going to get rewarded. And that right there illustrates one thing that is lost upon this group of kids. That that gesture was, was unbelievably important to the rest of that ball club because there's a coach signifying to the rest of the squad, this guy is now my starter. And don't you cannot underestimate at least old school thought process. You cannot underestimate how significant that was. It, it was a great story. He shared a lot of great stories. It was good to see him. Didn't get a chance to chat with him much, but he, he's one of the best Knowles out there. Lives out in Arizona, and uh, I certainly uh, it was it was good to catch up. I want to uh, take a moment before we say hello to uh, our, our guest in our next segment to remind you that uh, tomorrow at Madison Social, because this is the way they think. They're celebrating uh, another Gator victory with high fives. If you high five the bartender, and the five comes in because it's five in a row over Florida, your second drink is free in honor of five straight over the Gators. That's tomorrow night at Madison Social.
Unlimited? Can I get a high five? Unlimited or well, one I, time? No, I think it's your second drink. I don't think it's in increments of two. I think it's your second drink. But you like the way I think. You, uh, I do. We will uh, step aside, come back. We're just, uh, we, we haven't even, uh, you know, we've barely taken a bite of the burger at this point. We've got a lot more to discuss, and we'll do that it's as a Brontosaurus burger. It, it, it may be. It may be. I think you're right, right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks for tuning in this week. Tom and KJ with you. Time to fire up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our uh, good friend from ESPN, David Hale. How are you, David? Uh, I'm pretty well, I think. I uh, I have a cold that I'm fighting, and I've interviewed three times for the Tennessee job so far. But other than that, everything's fine. <laughs> well, you know, if a few more people turn it down, I'm confident that you'll land that guy, job. And I, I should have asked you this off the air, because this is like a lawyer. Don't ask this question if you don't know the answer. But... Isn't ESPN going through another round of layoffs right now? I presume since you're doing this interview, are you okay as we speak, David? Uh, so far, who knows what will happen an hour? From Which now, is why he's interviewing for the Tennessee job, right? So what? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. So let me withdraw. I, that. I figure talking to you can only help my resume, though, right? Let's so, let's withdraw that question then, and you just tell us what your your title de jour is right now, for the sake of our <laughs> listeners. Uh, Renaissance man, I believe is. Uh, Okay, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. That's pretty accurate, too, from what I know. David Hale obviously covers uh, college football, covered the Florida State beat for a few years, uh, has been covering the ACC and college football for ESPN uh, since then. So, you know, I, when I initially reached out, I wanted to talk more about the bowl scenarios and that sort of thing. But, of course, uh, the Jimbo Fisher stuff has gotten so big. I'm just curious, what, what, what is your take as somebody who's been here and covered the program and covered him but doesn't cover – you cover him from afar now – but you cover the national scene as well. What's what's your sort of uh, elevator look at this right now? You know, I, I, it's an interesting thing because what Jimbo is, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a bit of a control freak, I think. Uh, and I think that's probably been a very good thing for Florida State. You know, when he came in in 2010, he had a lot of work to do in sort of dragging the program into modern college football relevancy. And, and some of that, dragging had to be done kicking and screaming and i think you know it, it was obviously to the benefit of florida state it's a much 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 better program today than it was when he arrived um i think the, the thing of it is though is that uh that invariably creates a little bit of a culture clash with some people uh and jimbo you know i, I think he views uh his job through the same prism that nick saban views his job that bill belichick Use his job. I mean, Jimbo wants only to be the best of the best. It's not, hey, let's let's be close to Alabama. It is let's be Alabama, and and so I think there's uh, there's just very little wiggle room for him. It's, he has an idea of how he wants things done, and and it damn well better get done that way. That you know, again, is not going to always make everyone happy, and I think that's certainly. The, the situation that we're in now is a little bit of a reflection of that. It's, the, the difference is that in years past, when these 
debates have come up, there was no question about who was going to win the debate. Uh, after you're five and six and, and, and need to reschedule a ULM game to get bowl eligible, suddenly some of that leverage is gone and, and the prism through which you view that debate is much different. And, and I think that's really where we're at right now. And, and look, I, I don't know how this ends. I think from everyone that I have talked to, it certainly sounds like there's more smoke surrounding this particular fire than, than in past ones. Uh, and, and maybe a change is something that, that everybody needs at this point. I, I don't know. I, I also think, you know, it's a little bit like a relationship. You know, when you're when you're around somebody a long time, uh, sometimes there's a tendency to blow things a little bit out of proportion, and you've got to take a step back, calm down, and realize that where you know where you're at in the relationship that you're in is actually the best thing for you. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, I do believe Jimbo is better off at Florida State, and Florida State is better off with Jimbo. But I also wonder if maybe things have gotten frayed enough now that there is some more interest than, than there might have been in the past in exploring how green that grass is on the other side. David, for those of us that are in the program and have been around for a while, one of the things that jumps out is that uh, you know the old adage of using leverage uh, if you've got another job offer, another opportunity, you use that against your current employer to whatever degree you can uh, have things. I think one of the things that's interesting about Jimbo is he's always been big picture. Uh, he would have been gone to LSU a year or two ago if it weren't for the financial problems that the state of Louisiana and, and, uh, was going through. And now he looks at where FSU is relative to finances and he looks at what A&M has done relative to finances. And to me, this is a this is a capital asset decision not a decision on what's going to happen next year it's what's going on three and five years down the road right i mean that, that's entirely the thing with jimbo was an architect in a lot of respects you know and, and a, a an elite architect doesn't want to go take a job where they're not going to give you the resources to build the most incredible building you can possibly build um they're not going to say all right let's here's where we can trim a bunch of fat what, what the what they want is to say let me build something amazing. Um, I, I certainly can't fault him for that. But I think, you know, from a realistic standpoint, if you're the president of a university, if you're the, the head of an athletics department, if you are, uh, you know, in charge of, of boosters, if you're on the, the board of trustees, you know, all, all of these people have responsibilities that are beyond just let's win a bunch of football games. Not not to say that, that they don't want to win a bunch of football games, but, but there's a different perspective that they're viewing things through. And so, it makes sense to say, look, we don't have the funds to do this, or it is going to take away from something else if we if we go in this direction, or uh, you know the the reward, the return on this investment is not worth the investment. Um, that's not the way that Jimbo looks at things, nor should you expect your football coach to be looking at things that way. But the problem is, is when the power dynamic shifts too much in one direction or the other, um, it it becomes an issue where I think. You know, it's hard to to find a balance. It's hard to find ways to to make those two different sides get along. And and then when you have someone else like Texas A&M that does have a ton of resources come in and say, hey, you know, what they're not giving you there, we're happy to give you here. It becomes very um, a very easy pitch to to a guy who is just looking to build the greatest possible uh, football program that he can. Let me ask you this, David. How is this playing nationally? Is the college football community thinking that Jimbo is crazy? Are they thinking that Florida State really doesn't have uh, good facilities at this point? I mean, based on the way that it's being presented publicly? Or, or you know, how, how's the, how are the national folks viewing this? Yeah, I think 
one thing that has stood out to me is I, I have not talked to or heard from or read anything from anyone who has said that A&M is, without question, the right move for Jimbo. I think every single person who has weighed in on his potential decision, obviously not knowing uh, all of the details, but, but from a, a big-picture perspective, has said Florida State's the better spot for him. It, the question is just whether relationships have frayed enough or whether a change of scenery is worthwhile enough that it happens anyway. And, and certainly there are ample examples of, of that in the past. Um, but, uh, you know, I think most people view Florida State as not just a good job, but one of the four or five best jobs in the country. Um, but, you know, at the same time, look, there's a lot of toys to play with at, at, at Texas A&M. And in a lot of respects, you're getting in at a good time because Texas is still in a rebuilding mode. And you have uh, a lot of distinct advantages there. And, you know, the other thing about it is, too, uh, you know, when Jimbo had the dalliances with LSU and the dalliances with Texas in the past, I think, Again, Jimbo wants control. Jimbo wants to be able to build a program the way that he wants. And those programs have a whole lot of people just standing around saying, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. No, I think we should do it this way. That, that's not Jimbo. He's, he's not into politicking. Uh, he is not into glad-handing. He is not into brown-nosing and smooth-talking. He wants to be able to say, we're going to do things this way, and a bunch of people get in line behind him. Um, I think there's a much better scenario to do that at Texas A&M than there was at some of these previous places that have, have made overtures to him in the past. Now, I think he largely has that at Florida State now, probably not quite to the extent that he would like, but I, I also think, that, you know, you go into a new place, you really, it's sort of the devil you know versus the one you don't, and, and I do think that, that um, you know, the, the, just the economics of, of football, college football in general, uh, are not going to just give you a blank check, and I don't, I don't care where you're at. David, uh, given the fact that FSU had to reschedule the ULM game and that this has been pushed off a week, uh, I, I and Tom and I haven't really talked about this part of it, but I believe that immediately after the ULM game, in fact, the, the, the meeting with the team after the game on Saturday, Jimbo's going to tell them something. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Um, I think that, to some extent, almost needs to be the deadline of something. And, and I think there are plenty of people, in fact, I'm sure there are plenty of people uh, on the team, within the program, uh, surrounding the team, that are frustrated that that conversation has not happened one way or the other already. And I think but most of these kids are savvy enough to know that this is how it works. You know, I mean, again, if, you, if, if you're not a true freshman on this team, odds are you've heard some of these rumors before. And all of them have friends at some other school whose coach has been let go or has coaches picked up and gone. They're not, you know, I don't think they're naive about the situation. And part of me just thinks, you know, if this is going to happen, rip the Band-Aid off. And if it's not going to happen, even if publicly you're, you're, don't, you're not ready to come out and say something, I think internally you need to be at least honest with your players and say, like, look, you know, we're we're – having some discussions. This is not a done deal one way or the other. My loyalty for, you know, is with you and I want to win this game. And, and as long as I'm here, I'm your coach. That, that's a conversation that can be had. And, and certainly from what I've heard and read, it, it sounds like there's not just been not very many conversations at all. And I think leaving the team in the air, even through, through this last game, to me, 
has been a bigger part of the problem than it has been just a waiting game. Well, for someone who preaches eliminate the clutter, he certainly created it this week, and we'll see how that yeah, plays exactly out. Right. We'll see how that plays out on Saturday. Let, let's play the uh, who would it be game real quick, David, uh, because uh, you know everybody's circulating names. Uh, I mean, the names I've heard are Willie Taggart. I've heard that uh, the university would be would talk to Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Uh, I mean, there's there's a longer list than that from the folks I've talked to. But would Fuente come? Who would you who would you uh, advocate for for florida state if it came open yeah well look i think there's a couple of things that, that need to come into play um first of all there, there's other jobs out there and, and you know the other name that, that i think a lot of people bring up is scott frost and look if you're going to make a move on scott frost and i don't know that they would you better beat nebraska to the punch by quite a bit um so there's that kind of deadline looming um I, willie taggart to me seems like the most logical choice because there'd be interest on both sides obviously uh, because of his ties to Florida, because he can recruit. But the other thing of it is, you know, I, I mean, even going back to Bobby's later years at, at Florida State, uh, when the program was not in good shape, recruiting wasn't really the issue so much. I mean, there was maybe more misses on the recruiting trail, but Florida State doesn't have to sell recruits on Florida State, at least from an interest. Now, closing the deal might be a little bit different scenario, but uh, I would be more concerned about bringing in a guy who you feel like culturally fits uh, who has a clear vision for the direction of the program, uh, who has a, a schematic idea of what they want to do on the field, whether they're an offensive guy or a defensive guy. And, and if they're an offensive guy, you know, what, 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 who do they have in mind as their defensive side of things? Who, what kind of coaching staff do they think they want to surround themselves with? All of these are, are, are far bigger questions to me than, than who can come into Florida State and recruit because – my God, if you're interviewing somebody that you're not sure if they can recruit to Florida State, then you're interviewing the wrong person. Um, so, look, I, you know, I think Taggart would be a great uh, fit. I, Justin Fuente, I think, is a tremendous coach, uh, and I, I, I think he would do well there. I have my doubts as to how much interest there would be there. Look, he's, he's not a Florida guy. He's uh, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. I could see him being in one of those situations. But he. He loves Virginia Tech, and I mean, I, I think that can't be overstated enough. He was he he pushed to get that job when it came open. Uh, he has a very good relationship with both the athletics director, with the former staff, with with, with Frank Beamer. He has a great relationship with Bud Foster. Um, that to me is a winning situation where Fuente is right now, without this looming specter of um, Jimbo Fisher and all that has gone on at Florida State. I, if I were if I were Justin Fuente, it would, it would take a, a whole lot to pry me to Tallahassee from, the, from a very comfortable situation that he's in right now. All right, Keith and I will kick around some other names later in the program. But uh, since it is a chance to get bowl eligible this week, and lots of us Florida State folks have never been to Shreveport or El Paso, <laughs> where are we Correction, headed? I've been to El Paso. Oh, yeah, Keith has been there. Where Where, where is FSU headed should they defeat uh, Louisiana Monroe on Saturday? Uh, I'm sure Keith's gotten into some trouble over in Juarez before, so I, I'm not even going to ask about that. That is uh, undisclosed. We're not going to discuss <laughs> trips to Juarez. <laughs> uh, you know, here's the, the the big problem that Florida State has right now is Notre Dame lost to Stanford, which largely almost certainly pushes them out of the New Year's Six conversation, so that steals an ACC bowl bid. Then, uh, as of the projections currently, you would see an SEC team playing – the loser of the ACC championship game in the Orange Bowl. 
that means that the Big Ten maintains their affiliation with the Citrus Bowl, stealing another bowl bid from the ACC. So everything gets shifted down two spots. And if you're a 6-6 six and six team, that's trouble. Because now you've got um, essentially probably Notre Dame going to the Camping World Bowl in, in uh, Orlando. And now you're looking at the four Tier 1 games, which would be the Belt Bowl, the Pinstripe Bowl, the Sun Bowl, and then either the Tax Slayer or the Music City Bowl. One, one would go to the Big Ten, one would go to the ACC, and it's usually geographically based. So you've got four games open. Well, you've got three teams that have to go ahead of Florida State. That would be NC State, Virginia Tech, and who am I missing here? Louisville. Uh, Louisville, yes, the other eight-win team. All right, so those three have to get slotted first. I think the only way that Florida State stays in that Tier 1 is if the tax layer is the last one to select. How, how, do, how do they determine that, David? Because I, my understanding is it's sort of joint discussion. Is that is that not true? Is there yeah. truly a pecking order? Yeah, it's a little bit of a joint discussion thing. And then, I, to my understanding, I think it comes down to some coin flips or something along those lines. If there's not, if there's not a general understanding among the group, so you know, look, I think it's certainly possible that um, you know there's a, a, a understanding that look, we don't need Florida State. You want them, take them. And that works out fine, and Florida State's in Jacksonville. I think that there's a, at least a 50-50 chance that that happens. Um, but if it doesn't, if they don't end up in Jacksonville, then yes, we're, we're looking at, at sort of tumbling down a little ways. And um, I think the Sun Bowl it could be, in El Paso, could have some interest, though they might end up with someone like Louisville instead. Um, you know, even if you're Jacksonville, uh, look, you're going to get, would you rather have Florida State, which is, of course, nearby geographically, but a fan base that is frustrated with the team, uh, potentially a coach gone, uh, all of these things sort of loom over that decision, or would you rather have a Virginia Tech team with an enthusiastic fan base, an NC State program that has not had a big-time bowl game in years? Um, there may be some interest even, you know, from tax layer to say, you know, why do we want to, why do we want to deal with a team that's sort of an also-ran at this point? rather than a, a fan base that is excited to be here, rather than sort of a consolation prize. That, that's certainly a possibility, too. So, so, so straightforward it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, and look, hey, at least there's, uh, there's, there's casino gambling there. You get on the riverboat, you do some black, play some blackjack. It's not the worst place you could ever spend some time. My wife is from New Orleans, so I spend every Christmas in Louisiana, David, and we're the only people I know associated with Florida State that would go there because we've got family in Treeport. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for your insight. We appreciate it as always, and uh, it's always good to have ESPN Renaissance man David Hale join. And the good luck with the Tennessee interview. <laughs> Hopefully, ESPN Renaissance man for a while. Maybe Tennessee Renaissance man, but. We'll see how things go. All right. I'm going to go up there and paint your name on that rock so they hire you, okay? <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Much appreciated. All right. We'll come back and uh, talk more. Expand uh, expand upon that conversation right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
Back on Front Row Knowles, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment. We'll talk uh, Jimbo. Keith and I will here. And uh, just to wrap up that bowl scenario, Keith, basically you got these four Tier 1 bowls, and you've got the three eight-win teams that he mentioned, and then one of those Tier 1 bowls is the pinstripe, and the ACC likes to give geographic preference there. So, you know, it's more likely that Boston College is going to go to that game, and then you've got three eight-win teams for the other ones. And unless the ACC or Jacksonville really wants to – deal with the headache that is you just let a mediocre florida state team jump our eight win teams i think it is more likely that florida state drops to to tier two i can tell you that from the university side the bowls that i've heard most are small chance of jacksonville uh the military bowl which is in annapolis and the independence bowl which is in shreveport so that's where fsu thinks they're going well and and if they win annapolis would be interesting because that's an area that florida state has never been in before uh, and and obviously, uh, long-time listeners will remember that I was actually recruited by the Naval Academy. Um, so I had a little bit of an early interest in Annapolis uh, until they figured out that they didn't have girls in school at the time. Uh, that's since changed, I'm told. Um, how about uh, how about the reaction? A reaction to the fact that David uh, is aware, and evidently the national media is aware, that the issues related to Florida State and their head coach are not just just facilities, are not just monetary, but are also relational. Yeah, well, a lot of that's out there. And the Tallahassee Democrat obviously wrote a story about it, and, and all, the, all the blogs have been talking about it as well. Um, you know, my take on this <clears throat> is that, first of all, in terms of a leverage play, he's, he's from Jimbo's side, he's playing what he has to play, which is leveraging another job. From the university and everybody else I talked to side, I think everybody just thought we could skip a year of this because the team's five and six. Like, can we do this behind closed doors and not do this and not have to deal with it publicly? I, you know, I, I don't know. Jimbo doesn't tell me this stuff. I tape his show. We don't discuss what his next job might be. Is he going? Is he staying? I think he genuinely has liked FSU. I've thought that from the first time I met him when he knew about you and Monk and knew you by number from watching you play in the late 70s. He has a a genuine affinity to Florida State. And so when you hear him talk on game day about a guy makes a mistake from trying too hard, it comes from a good place. I think this comes from a good place in that he wants Florida State to be the best, like David Hale said. And so I think he started this week. His intent was, let's play this, but I'm going to stay at FSU. And I think FSU wants them to stay here. But it has gotten to the point as this has gone on that at some point – and I don't know that either side would be bitter if he moved on. I think it would be, um, look, we appreciate what you've done, but we're, we're going to win with another coach if you're not going to be here. And so just make your decision. Well, and I think, too, you can't overstate – Uh, the thought process of a coach who wants to be involved in everything the the micromanagement part you know coach bowden would hire his staff and give his staff authority and allow them to coach coach never said coach bowden didn't say two things to me in four years about my defensive play everything everything he said to me was about big picture game type situation that type of thing jimbo believes that his way is the right way and that that athletics needs to control everything they need to control the marketing they need to control the booster fundraising they need to control this they need to control that and when he can't get his hands around that or when he feels like he's not having an effective voice in trying to either dictate or at least sway 
the direction that these other places, other things are going, uh, then he gets frustrated because that that's a necessary component of him running his program. His program is not just on the field. His program, as David talked about, is being an architect. And it goes back to conversations like you and I've had. I believe there's there is a legitimate uh, understandable, acceptable rationale that says to recruits and says to Jimbo, we don't need a nap room. We don't need a wiffle ball court. We don't need a slide. We're Florida State. We play football. We win championships. We don't need the ancillary things that other schools may need to get you to pay attention to them. Well, Jimbo doesn't believe that way. Jimbo's an architect. He wants that chrome or, or or copper dome on top of that building that's right. going to, even though it's going to turn green in three years, we'll just pay more money in three years and clean it and make it look good again. That's the way he thinks, right, wrong, or indifferent. And I don't know. I just don't know if that's going to mix with the way the current leadership of Florida State University is set up. And it goes back to, not to belabor the point, but those those somewhat fractured relationships between Jimbo and the Boosters, the fact that he goes around Stan and goes directly to John on issues that he should be talking to the AD about. Uh, and even, even Thrasher has a little bit of culpability here because when those conversations come directly to them, he needs to be saying as president of the university, look, coach, you've got to talk to the AD first, and then the two of you have got to come to me. And I don't know how much of that has or has not happened. I'm not in those conversations. The point being, the nation now knows that there's some disjointed relationships, and and maybe good or bad, Texas A&M, if they hire Jimbo, will understand he's not just your between-the-white-lines football coach. He's going to have an opinion, a say-so, and a want-to with everything associated with that program. Well, he knows the LSU, I mean, the uh, Texas A&M AD from when they were together at LSU. So that would already be a known point to the to the uh, Texas A&M AD. I forget his name. Scott Woodward, maybe? Something like that. Uh, my two cents related to the football operations building, which means nothing. And I say this not from a budget standpoint, but they're looking at two things. One is, can we build a standalone building? What does it cost? Can we retrofit the Moore Center? Obviously, the retrofit is going to be cheaper. Uh, well, supposedly. Cheaper. They're, they're actually invested in a cheap, survey cheaper to do is a that. Bad, incredibly bad word. Less expensive. Yes, thank you very much. Because nothing here that we're talking about is cheap. But to me, as soon as you build a standalone building, somebody else builds their football op center into the stadium, which is beachfront property. And then you go, well, why do we have a standalone building? Let's put our football ops thing in the building. The point being, Florida State is already there, and the university is willing to go that road. I, I, I get that it, it's the difference between having a 20-year-old beach house that you sink $30 million into or building two blocks off the beach and spending $60 million to get a brand-new house. I mean, I think you can live with the beach house. And that's my point. We, we are Florida State. There's where we win our championships. Let's put this thing around here where every day, every hour of every day, you're looking at where you win those championships. But again, that's my personal opinion. That may, may or may not be and probably isn't Jimbo's opinion. Okay, so because we asked David to do it, we've got a couple minutes. Who would your next coach be? You know, I, I, there there are a couple of stories out there. I've not researched them, but there's a couple of stories that says that uh, a certain Florida State official or officials have already been on Orlando uh, to talk to Frost. I think you you would you'd be very remiss if you didn't reach out to him 
and at least have a conversation trying to measure interest. I know the Nebraska job is open. Frost played at Nebraska. That would seem to be the natural fit. But goodness gracious, everybody you talk to around the Orlando area just talk about you know what the job would, is that he's done. Uh, Taggart is obviously a good one. I, I you know nobody talks about it much, but I think Charlie Strong is still uh, an issue because I think the FSU job is better than the USF job. Uh, and, and, you know, Fuentes would probably be a reach. But the one thing I haven't heard talked about, because I'm not in those circles, I don't, I don't run in those circles, I don't pay attention to them, but I think there's also legitimacy to take a pause. And, and let's go look at, at, the, at the FBS uh, and, and, and maybe, uh, excuse me, FCS and maybe Division Two, And, you know, you look at programs like South Dakota State or, or places that have won multiple national championships. Who's, who's that guy and what is he doing? Yeah, I think is, there, is there is there a young guy out there off of the radar that you I, might want to invest in? I think there would be in? reluctance to giving somebody like that the keys here. Well, I, but I think you need to take the time to have that discussion. I, I do agree that – so everybody worries about recruiting – Look, you recruit every year. You can sacrifice this year's recruiting class to get it right over getting somebody that ultimately is not the right guy. And Florida State's sacrifice recruiting is mean you're going to be 15th in the country, not 5th in the country. Even if you're 50th this year and you add it to what's on the roster coming back, you've got enough talent that you can win a title next year. Yeah, recruiting is so, a non-issue to me in this year. Yes, yeah, I agree, especially if you're going to have to change coaches two or three years from now. I would definitely talk to Scott Frost. Now, I didn't think Frost was the right move for Florida because Florida has had, not counting Urban, three of their last four coaches and not counting Dan Mullen, have been guys with either no or short head coaching tenures, and they all failed. So if I was at Florida, I wouldn't have made the play for Scott Frost. I think they got the better hire there in Dan Mullen. I would have started with Dan Mullen. He's worked with the AD. That's what they got. But at FSU, where you've only had two coaches in 40-plus years, if you're worried about that and think it's a gamble, I think you can take it. And, and get uh, so if you if this happens and Frost is available, I'd definitely talk to him. Taggart's in the mix. I would talk to Jeff Brom, whose all his roots are Louisville, but as long as Petrino's there, if you get out in front of that and get Brom, who's done a great job at Purdue and Western Kentucky before that, I would look at him. Uh, Fuente, I think, is on the list. And if you if you were going to go coordinator, and maybe the only defensive guy I would consider is Brent Venables, because you know the defense would be a plus. You also would be getting some intel and hurting your arch rival in conference if you took him away with that move. Um, so that would be my list. What about Kevin Steele? Would you bring him back? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, and Kevin Steele's name is up for the Tennessee job. What about Stock Steele at in, in, in Middle Tennessee? I wouldn't. It, I don't. It, to me, Florida State needs to get younger. Jimbo's fifty-two. Oklahoma's coach is thirty-three. I think most of those other names we mentioned are you know probably between thirty-five and forty-five. I think they need to get younger as a staff. And so, you know, I mean, Terry Bowden's out there, Stockstill's out there. There's guys with FSU ties. I wouldn't go that route. Um, Now, if you lined everybody up and looked at them, and at the end of the day you said, well, this guy is the best fit and he's 53 or whatever, then get him. But I wouldn't start with Charlie Strong in that crowd. I would would go the next generation. They're they're more current-day offense, I think, in their thinking. They relate to the kids better, which obviously something's going on that's an issue with relating. There's a disconnect of some sort there. There's a disconnect there. So that's what what I would do. But So I think in general, I, I would hire offensive guy, not defensive guy, Venables being an exception, and I would hire younger, and preferably with head coaching experience, although Jimbo didn't have it. And won a well, but he title. worked his way into it, though. He was he was he was uh, on the job training for three years. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of my Cliff's notes on it. All right. Anything else? When, when, when did you go by Cliff? Um. Anything else? 
<laughs> no, I'm done. I'm tired. This week's been exhausting. And it ain't over. And it ain't, it ain't over. It's only hump day. And man, <laughs> I still got a boulder on my back going uphill and haven't hit the top of that well, hump and yet. You, you still got coordinator interviews to do. You still got a uh, post-game interview to do. Uh, you still got uh, a, a chance to be involved in... Um, first knowledge of, inf- of, inf- of information you need to get some rest you need to rest up my friend to your point we are still currently scheduled to tape a jimbo fisher tv show on sunday afternoon we'll come back and talk to our seminoles.com insider tim linnefeld right after this i was driving trees went back me and Dell were singing Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles and time to say hello to our Seminoles.com insider. We do so via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And our Seminoles.com insider is the one and only Tim Linnefeld. Tim, slow slow week in your world, I imagine. Nothing going on. Oh, yeah, man. Not much going on. Just uh, kind of taking it easy as the calendar gets ready to flip toward December like I always do. <laughs> So, what do you think? What what can you share? There's probably a lot you can't share, but uh, your thoughts on the flirtations with Texas A&M. Uh, man, you know, I, I, no, I don't know if anybody actually believe me when I say this, but it's true. I don't know anything more than probably you guys do, and, and, and maybe even less. Uh, you know, the reality is, I'm, you know, I see and read kind of what's out there. We're all on social media. Um, but I think right now you're just sort of waiting to see, you know, Jimbo Fisher's policy is, you know, for, for whatever, uh, you know, whatever you think of it, you know, if it's, he's been consistent. He doesn't want to talk about jobs and, and openings and rumors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's fine. It's his prerogative. But, you know, the other side of that is that, you know, that means that rumors and reports and, and things, are, you know, they're going to linger. So uh, I'm kind of with everybody else. I'm just sort of, you know, waiting and seeing and, and preparing to cover a game on Saturday. Speaking of said game. Oh, go ahead, Keith. No, go ahead. Speaking of said game, do you think this has been a – I know it's been a distraction. Do you think it will show in how the team performs on Saturday? Because, you know, we we get a win over Florida, and everybody automatically checks the box that you're going to beat Louisiana Monroe. But the way this week is gone, I, how much attention to detail has there been? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think if it does show itself, it won't be in a, a very tangible way. Um, you know, I, I think that just in terms of – Talent and athletes, and and also motivation. I do think Florida State's players are motivated to win this game. Um, I think that'll be more than enough to to beat this team. And they did look pretty good against Auburn for a half, uh, but you know, singling out a game in which they lost forty-two to fourteen as uh, as an example of how good they can be or how much of a challenge they can be. Um, you know, I'm not sure that that's uh, a very compelling argument. You know, uh, ULM does score a lot, but they give up even more points. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine them having too many guys on defense that can hang with Cam Akers or Nudie Murray or those guys. So I'm not too worried about that. What do you make, and, and this kind of ties into that, uh, and Jimbo always talks about the clutter, uh, and obviously there's a bunch of clutter out there this week. But, uh, you know, the kids are technically off social media, but uh, some of them have chosen to maybe not post to Twitter, but they're doing uh, Insta Chat or Facebook or whatever the other things Insta are. Insta Chat? Whatever it is. Uh, don't make Hold fun on. of me. Don't make fun of me. Little teaching moment here Instagram, Snapchat. Oh, whatever. What's your Insta Chat handle, Tom? I'm on Snapgram. 
Okay. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like something like you know, like recipes for grandparents or something. My point being, oh yeah, the kids Sorry. have begun expressing some opinions on this, and we've—I mean—that's kind of a new phenomenon. We've not seen the kids go into social media relative to their head coach in in this era of social media. What do you make of that? Uh, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. Um, most of the, the stuff that I've seen is people posting pictures with gator heads from uh, from Saturday. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen that, but I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of like I said. I know this is kind of a, a non-answer, but I really do think it's as accurate um, as I can be. Is that everybody's just sort of like, you know, all right, how's this thing going to play out? Yeah, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, is what it feels like to me. Remember those when you were a kid? Okay, we turn to page twelve trouble. if you're going to Texas A&M. Turn to page eighteen if you want to go to Tennessee. We didn't have those Wildwood. All we had know, Wildwood were the coloring books. I just tried to stay inside the lines. And, and you know, I do think there's a lot, especially on uh, on social media and Twitter. It, it um, and I think it has a tendency to become a bit of an echo chamber, and, and I think we're you know at the point where people are, people are kind of seeing what they want to see. You know, you're, you you can read into what you want. Um, you know, no matter how you 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 see the situation playing out, or how you might want it to play out. Um, you can kind of find whatever uh, whatever voice, and whatever opinion, and whatever report from a reporter that you've probably never heard of. I've seen a few of those this week. Uh, they, they can back that up. So um, yeah, no, I yeah. think I think you're right, Tim. And I think most people that I talk to, it's not that they want uh, Jimbo gone. I think most people just don't want to deal with what this week is. You know, we just want some resolution. Uh, either either you're moving on or you're staying, and we don't want you to go necessarily. That's kind of where I, where I feel like it is. All right, basketball. I didn't get a chance to watch the game last night, but you being the Seminoles.com insider took copious notes. So what was your takeaway? Uh, well, yeah, I thought that uh, it was a pretty impressive win for them. I don't know that, that Rutgers is going to be a great team or a tournament team or anything like that, but to, to go on the road and in front of the whole house, which it was, uh, and, and be able to overcome a bit of adversity in the second half and, and play well and get your first real road win, uh, what's not to like about that? Um, especially seeing C.J. Walker, what he did, kind of taken over in that second half. Um, you know, I think that was kind of one of the questions we had about this team coming into the season is, you know, when it comes crunch time in the second half on the road who's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands and can you count on him to deliver uh and you know early returns so far on cj walker i'd say are pretty good uh and then the other thing that, that really stood out to me is, is phil kofer is off to a really really nice start to this season i you know i don't know what uh what people expected from him coming into this year you know he, he'd been hurt for such a long time and and had a hard time getting on the floor last year um but for him to come out he, he played 37 minutes last night had 19 points i mean you know if if he is, is healthy and productive and able to give them, I mean, I don't know that he's going to play 37 minutes all the time, but to give them that many strong minutes, I mean, that completely changes the complexion of this team. Well, don't, don't forget, he started a number of games as a freshman. Yeah, and he played pretty well. And, yeah. then, and then he spent three years, you're exactly right, spent three years being hurt, nicked, whatever you want to call it. You know, other than a hundred percent, this is the first time in, in four years now he's a redshirt it, it, senior. It was noticeable to me last week when I called the game too that he's a different guy. We kind of discounted it, like you know, you you forget that he's a good player. Uh, he was just hurt, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I think. Well, right and, and and then you know, you talk about a big guy and their feet and legs and lower body, um, and, and you know that's that's something that can be really scary for a, a big guy. Um, you know, you, you see plenty of examples of, of players uh, of his size and position. If those feet don't heal right or or whatever, I mean that that can really threaten a guy's career. So it takes a while, I think, to feel good with where you are. I think it takes a while to get your confidence and your feel back. Uh, but he seems to be there. And, and again, man, you know it's. 
I don't know that any of us were planning on him being a, a guy who's going to play 37 minutes a night. So if he's able to contribute at this level, I mean, you realize he was four or five from the three-point line last no, night? No, well, career high and made threes. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, man. I mean, it's, you know, I don't think anybody thinks of him as a three-point specialist, but good grief, man. I mean, that's, Yeah, we'll take you know, it. Absolutely right, and so to me that complete that changes the complete complexion of the team uh, if you're able to count on him to do that, particularly uh, during this stretch here. If Chris Camaja is going to be out for for any length of time, uh, being able to get production from the five with Phil Kofer, I mean that's a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. All right, we're running out of time, Tim. So quick, a recap of uh, rapid fire from two weeks ago. I think this was right. Uh, so fire away. We've just got one question. It's it's a pretty simple one. The uh, the over under on wins this week for Florida State is one half. So are you over or under against the Gators? We've done pretty well in this. I say over. There you go. And that was obviously just last week. I forgot that we had taped a segment for our best of show. Congratulations, Tim. You get a passing grade. You got hundred hey, percent pass fail. I like it. All right. Well, here's the one this week. Will Jimbo? This is a yes no question. When we talk to you next Wednesday, will Jimbo Fisher be the head football coach at FSU? There was a delay. I had to think about it. All right. All right. We'll see. We'll grade you next week. Again, with these, these one-question uh, runs, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know that I like the percentages. Hey, well, if you get a zero, you average it with 100, you're still at 50, and then we work in the rest of then your you scores. Then you flunk. Yeah. <laughs> then you flunk. Uh, we didn't ask you about the bowl scenario. What? What? Uh, this has to be quick, but uh, I've heard uh, Slim Chance, Jacksonville, more likely uh, Military Bowl in Annapolis or Independence Bowl in Shreveport. You got anything different? Uh, that sounds about right. Uh, more, uh, more the latter than the, than the first two, but they're still on the table as well. And I just still think some uh, some things have to play out this weekend before we know for sure. Sounds good, Tim. Thank you. You got it, guys. Our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefelt. Always appreciate him joining us the show, joining the show, and uh, we always appreciate the fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. And I'll remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit them. They got a couple locations: eleven ten Stuckey Avenue and thirty two sixty nine Crawfordville Highway. Online at ctf.nu, or you can call Ron or his staff at 580-1200. Reckon they got some tools that will repair this relationship? Probably. No, mine, got, mine and yours. Oh, does ours? What, what, we don't need any heavy well, tools, bring machinery for that. I bring it up in the next segment. All right, let me, let me chew on that in the break, then we'll finish up the show right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We have filibustered so much that we only have 60 seconds remaining in the program, Keith, and I'm told that you would like to take about 30 of them. Go. I have an issue with you. Uh Uh-oh. You were ill-prepared for the Florida game. You get down to Gainesville. You have no hat. This is true. You try to go through the first quarter sun's in your eyes you obtain a hat you didn't get me one you now have a tangible memory of the fifth consecutive win over the gators fourth consecutive in gainesville and you didn't think of your partner when you were obtaining said headwear you're right i didn't because you were in the booth and the sun was not shining on you and you weren't getting sunburned at the time i'm just saying you do bring up a good point Shout out to the young fellow that's part of the equipment crew that found me in the second quarter on the sideline in Gainesville and handed me a hat. Props to you. I don't know your name. I apologize, but I do appreciate the effort. Now, moving along, a new feature on Front Row Knowles, Tom's Teachable Moments. 
You may continue. This will be the wraps on the show. So my son Nolan says to me today, and I tweeted this for those of you that follow me on Snapgram or Instachat or Twitter. <laughs> Dad, if Jimbo leaves, we won't beat the Gator years, Gators every year. And I said, son, everyone beats the Gators. And he said, that's right. They're the second worst team there is. To which I inquired, who's the first? Who's the worst? And he said, Delaware State. Hashtag now back to you in the booth. That about sums it up. We'll do the show again next week, and there there will be lots to talk about one way or the other when we talk to you again. Actually, we'll have a show on Sunday morning. so We'll probably have quite a bit to say then, too. Yeah, all right. Until then, uh, have a great week, everybody.